My name is Crystal Culp, and I'm the pastor of adult discipleship here at First Church. And I'm also married to your lead pastor, Pastor David, and he is actually visiting our other campuses this morning. He was He's doing the round the world tour really quick. He was at our 930 service at our Stevensville campus at 11 o'clock right now. He's at our Benton Heights campus. So you guys get me. So um, I hope that you're okay with that. I just want to tell you this morning, we're gonna, we are going to do a quick sprint through several verses in Colossians. I told David it was no fair. He gave me the longest portion of scripture in Colossians to preach on, but that's what we got. So you guys just hang on. I read something this week that the, um, the standard American has about eight minutes of attention span. You guys do realize that's shorter than Dory's attention span on Finding Nemo, right? So we're going to, I hope that we're going to expand our attention span this morning a little bit as we go through this, this chapter in Colossians, or these verses in, in Colossians. So we've been in Colossians. Paul is the author of Colossians, and he has been reminding us of a lot of different things in this book our hope in heaven and the encouragement we have in that hope. We talked about the preeminence of Christ and how powerful he is. We talked, my dad was here actually, and he loved talking with you guys about maturing in Jesus and the transformation that comes from that. Then we nailed our struggles and our sins and all of that to the cross a couple of weeks ago. And then last week, David, Pastor David talked with us about getting caught up in that legalism and the fact that we are free in Christ and that we're no longer bound to the law, but that, and, and that we have, we get to just enjoy that freedom that we have in being sons and daughters of Jesus. And so Paul in this book of Colossians so far has been setting up these really deep theological truths about what it looks like to embrace Jesus as our Lord and Savior, who he is and how he can change our lives. Now, this week, Paul pivots a little bit, and as Pastor David would say, we're gonna, he's going to take us from the land of talk to the land of do. Yes. So this week, we're going to kind of put rubber to the road, and we're going to get moving on that land of do. And so I, I just want us to kind of soak in this word together. So we're going to read the whole section, so bear with me. We're going to read this together. Colossians 3, 5 through 17 says this. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self and its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here. There is no Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you, almost, you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. <sighs> okay, so here we go. Today, in this portion of Colossians, we're going to call this the wardrobe of, transformation, of the transformed life. The wardrobe of the transformed life. 
So I want to begin, first of all, where we left off last week. So you'll notice that there is a therefore in verse 5. And in Scripture, when you're studying Scripture, whenever you see a therefore, you want to see why it's therefore. And in order to do that, you often need to go back to the preceding verses. So let's look at those preceding verses that lead into the beginning of verse 5. And it starts with verse 1, and it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Now, last week, as I mentioned, Pastor David talked to us about our freedom in Christ and not being in bondage to legalism. This week, Paul talks to us about how we should live as followers of Jesus. And we call this holiness or holy living or being Christ-like. Now, I think where we need to begin first and foremost in this portion of Scripture is defining what the difference is between legalism and holiness. Or in other words, the difference between living in the freedom we have through Christ or living in bondage to a bunch of rules and regulations. Now, to put it simply, the difference between these two boils down to one word, and that is motivation. What is the motivation of why we live like this? In legalism, our motivations are to earn righteousness, to kind of prove ourselves, to, to look like we're righteous, and to draw attention to us and our relig- how religious we are. Holiness, or living a holy life, a Christ-like life, however, is motivated by our love for Jesus. Holiness can be harder to understand because often whenever you look at legalism and holiness, legalism can mirror holiness a little bit. And it's a little hard to distinguish between the two. However, the intentionality of holiness is drastically different. Living a holy life is an intentional choice to love what God loves and hate what God hates. There's an author, Dominic Dunn, and he put it this way. He said, your life will flow in the direction of your deepest love. So, in that vein, Romans 8, 5 says this, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. And then you see Paul reference this again in, cha- in verse 2 of chapter 3 when he says, Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So, why should we choose to live holy? What should our motivation be? And why should I set my mind on things above? And then you can see the answer to that in verses 3 and 4. And it says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So the motivation is that when you gave your life to Jesus, or when you choose to give your life to Jesus, you died to self, your, your life now is hidden in Christ, all your sins are wiped away, you've put them to death on the cross with Jesus, and the result is that when Christ, who is your life now, The reason that you're spiritually alive comes back again. You get to go and be with him in glory. The motivation here is to be fully alive in your Savior, to bring glory to him and to live in him for all eternity. So how do we do that? How do we live a holy life and not fall into the trap of legalism? So the first thing that we find, and we find this in verse 5 of our text, is this. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. 
So Paul says, now that you've been forgiven, you've died to self, you're now hidden in Christ, and you are living for his glory, then it's now it's your turn to take a step of faith. And that step of faith is to put to death what's earthly in you, put to death. So there's this big theological word called mortification. Now this term literally means to put to death. We're to mortify our sinful nature. And the Greek word here used is nekros, which means to regard as inoperative or to render weak. And if you dig a little bit into that, that Greek term, you're going to come across the word atrophy. And atrophy basically means if I don't use a part of my body, it gets weaker and weaker until I can no longer use that part of my body because it grows weak and stiff. Now, we've shared, most of you that have been around First Church here for quite a while, we, we've told you guys about our dog, Daisy. Daisy is precious. She's our, we call, we call our dogs the girls. So if you ever hear us refer to the girls, we've got two sons, but they're our girls. Um, so Daisy was, we almost lost her just prior to Christmas. Um, she was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. Now, I said I would never be one of those people that is on a schedule to give their dog pills. I'm now one of those people. We have to give Daisy prednisone every 12 hours. So uh, what happened, has happened with Daisy, prednisone causes weakness, and now Daisy is not as active, and what we've seen is a real decline in her energy level, her ability. We're also those crazy people that do allow their pets on the furniture. Sorry for any of you that don't, but we do. Daisy cannot jump on the couch anymore. She cannot jump up on the bed anymore because those muscles have begun to atrophy. She's been weak, so she's been laying around, and she's not using them as much, so now those muscles are beginning to atrophy. So the opposite of that is that when we have muscles, right, and the more we exercise them, the stronger they get. They get stronger and stronger, and the more you use them, they get stronger. But here in this portion of Scripture, what this is asking us to do is to intentionally neglect the earthly things within us. In other words, we're supposed to allow those things in us to atrophy, those earthly desires, those things that are not from the Lord. We're supposed to let those atrophy, not exercise them, not use them, to set them aside. Pastor Mark Rogop said it this way. We've got to stop exercising the flesh. It's not who we really are. Jesus set us free and filled us with the Spirit, so let the flesh grow weak. Don't think on it, research it, or act on it. Don't justify it, try to manage it, or dip your toe in it. Don't get close to it, befriend it, or get curious about it. Avoid it, prevent it, neglect it, starve it, run from it. Basically what he's saying here is we have to let those things in us, those earthly desires, those things are not part of our life with Jesus, begin to grow weak, to atrophy, to die. We need to put them to death, to mortify them. And the key to this is to remember the motivation. The motivation is that Jesus is better than anything else. I'm going to say that again. Jesus is better than anything else. Amen? He's better than anything else this world has to offer. And because I love him, I put those things to death. I will allow what is earthly in me to atrophy, to grow weaker and weaker as I choose instead to exercise the muscles of the faith I have in Jesus Christ. That's my choice. And it's a matter of our, 
of our motivations and what our minds are set on. And this is a choice that we, we get to make. We have to make. We're not puppets on a string. We get to choose to put those to death. Now, Paul goes on in this portion of Scripture, and he begins to list all the things that we're, we're to put to death. And if you look at this portion of Scripture, there's really two sets of sins that he lists here. One is the sins of desire, and the other is the sins of division. And the sins of desire are listed in verse 5, and it's sexual immorality, and the Greek word, the root of that is porneo, and that includes all sexual sin. And then impurity, this is more about the stature or nature of a person. Have you ever just met somebody that gives you the creeps? Because you, all, you know they're always up to something. That's what this term impurity is getting at. Passion, this is speaking of a person who's out of control, somebody who has insatiable desires for, for sinful things. Evil desire, that's simply a desire for the wrong things. Covetousness, covetousness. I practice saying that word. That's a hard word to say. Or idolatry, this is worshiping anything above God or before him. And then Paul goes on to list these sins of division. And he says to put them away. And those are found in verses 8 and 9. And we're to renounce the things, you guys, that are to prevent us from living in unity with others or with God. Anger. In the Greek, that word means this slow, burning, steadfast opposition of someone or something. And then wrath, in the Greek, this word is like this intense flare-up of, an, of anger. It's an outburst. So if anger is kind of a rolling boil, wrath is boiling over. Those are, that's the difference between those two. Malice, wishing somebody harm or ill will. Slander, you're injuring their good name. Obscene talk, this is just abusive or foul language. And lying to one another, that's just not telling the truth. And then Paul goes on from these lists of sins and desire and division to say what we need to put off. The old self. What do we put off? So when you look at the original language, it gives us a picture here. And in the original language, the picture is this, this old, worn-out, battered clothing. What we wear matters. In verse 9, Paul tells us to put off the old self and put on the new self. To put off the old ward wardrobe of sin and put on the new wardrobe of our new freedom, our new life in Christ. So I did some research on the effects that our clothes have on us. Have you guys ever heard the term enclosed cognition? So this phrase was coined about 10 years ago, and it's used to describe the effect our clothes have on various psychological processes, like, like our emotions and self-evaluations and attitudes and our interpersonal interactions. And it's this idea that helped to develop that phrase that, have you ever heard the phrase, um, don't dress for the job you have, dress for the job you want? That's what, that, that's what that terminology came from. So this term in clothed cognition came from a study where scientists asked participants to wear a lab coat. And then they performed a series of scientific experiments. And when they told they had a doctor's coat on, the participants did better in the cognitive test. But when they were told they had on a painter's smock, they did worse. So the scientists concluded that clothes systematically influence the wearer's psychological processes. Now, there's another test or study that was performed. This one's my favorite. They split a group of men into two groups, suits and sweatpants. And they did this simulated business experiment between the suits and the sweatpants. 
and this resulted in the suited participants winning over $2 million in the simulated business experiment compared to the sweatpant dudes who lost $1.2 million. Once again, to just to prove that there's psychological benefits to wearing clothes that convey a high social status. They increase your dominance and your job performance. Now, I'm sorry for those of you that like to wear sweatpants to work. Proves that if you wear a suit, you do better. What we wear matters. For example, for my husband, and you guys cannot tell him I said this, normally a Packers jersey causes him to feel super confident. Not today so much. He does not have his Packer jersey on. But what we, do, what we wear matters, right? It has an effect on us. It has an effect on us. It's a great illustration of the choices we make and what we wear and how we see ourselves and how we see others around us differently with what we wear. So likewise, when Paul is talking to us about the choice we have of shedding or putting off the rags of our old sinful life, the old wardrobe, and choosing to put on new robes of freedom in Christ, the wardrobe of transformation we have in Jesus, that's what he's talking about here. Paul is beginning to give us examples of how we can begin to take off that old self. Now, guys, this is not an exhaustive list of exactly everything we need to do. This is not Paul giving examples of, of everything. This is just him giving us examples of where we can start to take off our old self. So if we go back to our clothing illustration, Paul tells us one thing, one piece of clothing that can help us begin to take these steps of transformation. Because let me tell you, and I can tell you from experience, it's a process. Our process of growing and looking more and more like Jesus is a process. We take one step at a time. We change one thing at a time. And Paul has given us this place to start. So what he says here is, he says, the place that he recommends that we start putting off the old self is he starts by telling us to tell the truth. He says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So think of it this way. I can start my journey toward transformation when I begin to take off my mask and be honest about who I am. I first have to be honest with myself and others about what I struggle with and what's going on inside of me. What it's not like is like the movies of the 90s, Clueless and Breakfast Club, where they change the way they look in order to be part of a group or to date somebody. I'm showing my age right now. But that, this is not what Paul is talking about. He's not, he's not talking about an outward change. This is the difference. He's not talking about an outward change of clothing. He's speaking of a change of heart that results in an outward transformation. And when I'm honest with myself and others about my struggles, I can then begin to make those changes. You cannot change something that you are unwilling to acknowledge and be aware of in your life. So in order to take off the old self, I have to admit and be honest about the fact that I have an old self that needs to change. I'm going to say that again. In order to take off the old self, I first have to admit and be honest about the fact that I do have an old self that needs to be changed. A.W. Tozer said this, The reason why many are still troubled, still seeking, still making little forward progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. We're still trying to give orders and interfering with God's work within us. Guys, when we're not honest about where we are, 
we build walls that interfere with what God wants to do in us and through us. Let's go on. Putting on the new self is also described, and Paul gives instructions to go with it, and is really encompassed in the remainder of the verses in this portion of Scripture. So we're going to read that together. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now again, this is a lot, so we're going to break it down. And we're going to start with what he says by put on the new self. One of the things that Paul begins this portion of scripture with is that this reminder that we're actively being renewed in knowledge after the image of our creator. There's incremental changes that go with this. I work on being discipled. And what we like to say around here is I spend time with Jesus, getting to know Jesus so that I look like Jesus so that others can see Jesus in me. So putting that new self on begins with knowing Jesus. You guys, we cannot look like somebody we don't know. So we have to spend time getting to know him in order to look like him. And then after we begin to look like Jesus, one of the things that begins to happen in us is that we begin to view others through the lens of Jesus in us. Now, this portion of scripture highlights what Paul says. He, he goes on to talk about that there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all in all. Now, you guys, back in Paul's day, there were divisions just like there are today, racially, politically, culturally, and socioeconomically. I think that we feel like sometimes the divides and the disunity in our day is something new, but it's not. There's this historical great divide that's rooted in the old self, the self before Jesus. However, Sometimes we have garments in our lives that we're unwilling to change. And sometimes I think unity is one of, disunity is one of those things. Because I think it's really, especially lately, it's been really easy to dwell in disunity because we've been so separated from one another. And all of a sudden, we decided that anybody that didn't agree with me, I didn't have to love them. I didn't have to be respectful of them. I didn't have to treat them like Jesus would treat them. Now, I know sometimes that's hard to hear, and sometimes it hurts to get our toes stepped on just a little bit. And you guys, as I studied this, I had to really come to terms with my own self and ask myself the question. So when we go, when we prepare sermons, sometimes God deals with our hearts. And sometimes I think these things like disunity, they're like the old holy sweater that you had from college, you know, that you still like to wear, and everybody in your life wishes you'd just get rid of it. But we still are wearing it proudly. Nonetheless, I have a sweatshirt that I love, and I'm sure my husband would love me to get rid of it, but I just love it. And often we want to just hang on to it for sentimentality's sake, but you guys, it's not good enough just to hang on to it thinking we'll just wear it around the house because inevitably you'll forget and wear it out to the grocery store. 
It just happens. Guys, it's time to burn the sweater of disunity. It's time to be honest with ourselves about how we view others. The church should be a place where we see others as Jesus sees them. We should be able to sit next to each other in unity no matter who, what you look like, no matter what political side you're from, no matter what is in your bank account. We should be able to sit beside each other understanding that Christ is all in all. We need to see and view each other as Jesus sees each other, each of us. You guys, this is Black History Month, and the roots of the Church of God movement, they happened right after the Civil War when there was racial divide in the church. But the Church of God movement that we are a part of stood against the racism of the day, and they chose in the face of racism that was running rampant across our country to worship black and white together. That's our roots. So during a volatile time, our movement chose to heed the words of Paul and not the dominant themes of the culture. Now, we failed at times, and we still have work to do to have a heart. We need to have a heart to try harder and do better. And David and I feel like it's really important for us to be intentional toward unity. This week, just to give you a picture into our lives, we spent a week with pastors at what is called the Pastors Roundtable event that we go to every year in February. Actually, our plane got delayed. We didn't get home till midnight last night. So if I seem a little tired, that's probably why. But in that roundtable, we have some very dear friends. Their, their names are Chuck and Sherry Myricks, and they pastor a large historic African-American church in Akron, Ohio. I'm going to tell you, Our relationship with them is so life-giving to David and I. We can have honest conversation with them, and they are teaching us, and we are learning. And you guys, we love them so much. They are teaching us more about what it looks like to dwell in unity. And as the people of God, we need to work on not seeing each other through the differences, but instead through the eyes of Jesus. This list of examples that Paul gives us with unity and all of these things, he goes on again to talk about the new self and what we wear, and it continues from unity to character traits like compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, forgiving each other as we've been forgiven. And right here in the middle of this list, Paul uses a term, put on again, to accentuate the binding agent of it all. Now, this is the base layer of clothing, the most important thing we wear. David has these t-shirts that he wears. They're called True Classics. Any guys in here ever heard of True Classic t-shirts? Yes? You can raise your hand. Don't be ashamed. It's good. Yes. Okay. He always says when he gets to wear one of his True Classic t-shirts, it's going to be a good day because it's soft. And right here, Paul starts talking to us about the important base layers of clothing, the most important thing we wear. This is kind of the belt that holds the whole thing in place, the whole, pulls it all together. And this is the word love. It binds all of this together in perfect harmony. All of these preceding characteristics of the new self are all manifestations of love. And in verse 15, Paul resumes the list he's making by speaking of the peace that should rule in our lives in Jesus. This is just taking off anxious thoughts, worry, and also disunity. And then he says, be thankful. Be thankful. 
I found this really cool quote by Francis Brangie Payne that says this, the thankful heart sees the best part of every situation. It sees problems and weaknesses as opportunities, struggles as refining tools, and sinners as saints in progress. Be thankful. Look for the heart of God and recognize his presence with you. And then he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. You guys, when you begin to make your home in Jesus and you put yourself in a position to study and know his word, wisdom comes from that. And there is this overflow and this natural outcome that becomes this new way of thinking, this new way of being. And it's part of the process of maturing and growing into your new self. And then he goes on and he says, teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs in your hearts to God. This is a picture of community. It's what we're doing right here, doing life together, helping each other, put on our new self. We need to seek out people who can hold us accountable and encourage us to put on our new self, to worship together, to grow together, to encourage one another. This is allowing others in your life to be wardrobe consultants. Sometimes our boys, we have two grown boys, 27 and 25, and sometimes they watch online from where they live. And occasionally they will text David on Sunday afternoon and they'll go, whoa, bro, what were you wearing today? (laughs) But they have permission to do that. They're our kids and they love us. And they really do want the best for us, but I do think it's more out of they don't want to be embarrassed by us. But anyway, that's a whole other aside. But we need to allow people in our lives to speak truth to us, to to ask us about what, what we're wearing, what's going on inside of us, to hold us accountable to hold us accountable. And then this last verse, verse 17, encapsulates it all when he says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This takes us all the way back to the beginning, you guys, to motivation. Our motivation must be to bring glory and honor to God. Not rule keeping or self-acknowledgement, but out of a thankful heart for what God has done in us as a result of the love that we have for him. Our lives begin to flow in the deepest direction of the one we love, and that's Jesus. Now, this may seem really, really hard to you, and I know we've covered a lot today, so I want to be careful to remind you that there is hope because we don't do this alone. We put on this new self with the help of the Holy Spirit. And I also want to remind you that this is a process. Paul said that we're being renewed. It's a process. You don't just arrive one day. It's a process. It's a process. If you've ever refurbished anything, you know how difficult the process is. And in order to get the best results, you can't rush it. You can't rush taking off the old. And sometimes the removal of the old is more difficult than the putting on of the new. But the work is so worth it. And this is a process, our spiritual walk, this process of changing the wardrobe, and it becomes this wardrobe of transformation. It's a process that we don't do alone. Yes, we do it best in the help of community, but again, we also have access to a power beyond ourselves. I'm going to ask our worship team to come on up. Isaiah 41.10 is one of my favorite verses of scripture, and it says this. 
So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You guys, his power, the power of Jesus, is made alive in you. And at salvation, at that point of salvation, you were made a new creation. You have the power for that old to be gone upon the acceptance of Jesus. And as you make that choice toward intentional atrophy of the old self resurfacing, and you begin to exercise the new self in Jesus, there's so much to be thankful for. Your transformation wardrobe was purchased by Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. And it's your choice to put it on. But you have help. You have help. Um, one of the things that I do every morning, I have a quiet time chair that I go to every morning, usually between 5.30 and 6. Now, you probably don't understand what a miracle that is because I am not a morning person. Ever. I've never been a morning person, ever. I'm from the South. We do things really slow, including getting up in the morning. But I started to pray that God would make me a morning person. I prayed that he would give me a desire to be up with him first thing in the morning early to spend time with him. And so to my surprise, I began waking up without an alarm clock at 5.30, sometimes earlier. And instead of going back to sleep. I've been using that as a prompt to get out of bed and I go upstairs to my quiet time chair and I sit there usually with a Bible study right now. I'm in the book of James, which you guys, I cannot tell you that like there's no way that this should happen, but it did because where I was at was be doers of the word and not hearers only. And I had to preach this sermon. You cannot tell me that's not the voice of God. And then I was in Leviticus, and I know Leviticus is this barren wasteland of rules and regulations. I get it. But there's also lessons to be learned there in that barren wasteland of rules and regulations. And I was in, I think it was chapter 24, and this is not in my notes because this is just something that I felt like God wanted me to share with you today. And in that, in that chapter, it's talking about the loaves of bread that were to be brought to give as an offering to God. And in that portion of Scripture, it said that those loaves of bread were lined up and placed on the altar as a sacrifice to God. But what it says in there is that it said there were fresh loaves put every Sabbath. And as I sat in my chair early in the morning, I thought, hmm, my God deserves fresh bread, not stale, old bread but fresh bread and then I begin to think about this this sermon because I've been mulling over the scripture for a couple weeks now and I got to thinking God am I giving you the best of me is there something in my wardrobe is there a sweater I need to burn you guys I've been a Christian since I was 11 years old I've been a Christian since for 41 years I'll let you do the math because I hate saying it out loud but what, I, what, I've, what I'm learning and what God is teaching me is that there's always something new he wants to add to my wardrobe. There's always a new point of transformation he wants to do in me. A new pair of shoes, a new belt, a 
something fresh that he wants to add to the wardrobe of my heart so that I can look more and more like him in given situations that are new in different seasons of life. I need something new sometimes at my age. (laughs) I'm not beyond needing a wardrobe change. I'm not beyond needing to bake some fresh bread. I'm not beyond needing to take care of my relationship with Jesus so it is fresh and new every single day. And I shared with you guys a few weeks that God is doing something new in me that I've never experienced before in all of my life. And it's hard to describe and I find myself weepy over it. But the way he is speaking to me in new and fresh ways takes my breath away. And he wants that for all of us as his children. You guys, he has this wardrobe waiting for you. We don't have to wear the rags of the old self any longer. You don't have to be pulled back into that sinful, broken life that holds you in bondage. You can choose to atrophy that. You can choose to leave that behind, to not exercise that, but to instead to exercise the power that you have as a new creation. There's so much new for you. You are justified by faith. You have peace with God. You have access to the Father, hope and glory. You are adopted into his family, redeemed by his blood. You are forgiven. You have a new purpose. Christ lives in you. You have mercy and grace, joy and victory over sin, a new family. You have spiritual gifts, a future glory. You are plugged into the power of God. You have the privilege of prayer to go boldly before his throne. Wisdom beyond yourself, freedom from fear, no condemnation. You have an advocate. You have a savior. You have the presence of God always with you. Protection from the enemy, a restored soul. You've been given a promise, a new name. You are a child of God. You have hope a new wardrobe you belong to Jesus and he belongs to you you guys the people of God have a chosen wardrobe for their hearts like that is nothing that this world could ever possibly understand unless they see it in you It was bought and purchased by the blood of Jesus. It was crafted in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And it was stitched together by the power of the Almighty. Be a beacon of hope. Wear the wardrobe of Jesus Christ proudly into a world that is shrouded in hopelessness. You guys, there's so much good. So much good indwelling with him. Today, we're going to do something we haven't done in a while. We're going to move to take communion. There there are communion elements in this table and this table, and you can just make your way there, and they're they're still separated in individual packets. We're not going to be dipping bread, but you still have your individual packets, and then there are baskets there with with cloth in them for you to put your, your waste But what we're going to ask you to do in these moments as the team worships is just to move and go take communion and 
maybe kneel there at the table for a minute and just thank God for the transformation that is possible in him because of the blood of Jesus. Ask him to help you have fresh bread of relationship with him. Guys, even if you've been a believer for a long time, ask him to help you be renewed by his presence and the blood of Jesus covering you. Help him to just, just sit in that space and say, thank you, God, for what you did for me and give me the power to live in that. We practice open communion here. If you have expressed Jesus as your savior, you are welcome at his table. So we want you to come and join us in that. If you don't know Jesus this morning, but you would like to accept him as your savior, we would invite you to do that. And you can text the word Jesus to 269-231-8692. And we'll get some information to you. We'd love to go on that journey with you and help you discover the new wardrobe you can have in Jesus. So as we worship, I'm just gonna ask you to stand now and let's move in thankfulness and gratefulness for what God has done for us in giving us a wardrobe of transformation.